Hi, welcome to the Authority Marketing Podcast. I'm Ian Brody of ianbrody.com and with me is David Heiner, researcher and professional speaker. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thank you very much, Ian. A pleasure to be here. Let's get straight down to business. David, you've built a big name for yourself as a speaker and especially with the concept of setting massive goals. That's um, right. But, but take us back a bit. How did you get started in this field? Do you want the honest answer or the PR answer? Oh, tell you what, give us the PR answer first and then tell us the honest answer so we can compare the two. Okay, PR answer, here we go. I was destined to be a speaker to share my knowledge and expertise. There we go. (laughs) That sounds very good. So what's the truth? Uh, the truth is, I was I was about an average chef with a catering and event business in Birmingham, a small business, and I very quickly realised that I wasn't as good as I thought I was, uh, and, and because I was fortunate enough to have my customers as the Who's Who of Birmingham, I started to ask some of them who were my friends, what is it they do, how do they think and behave differently to others that make them so successful. And what they told me in contradicted virtually everything I'd ever read, anything I'd ever been taught at school, any business management training program, it just contradicted it. So I'd, I thought they were freaks to begin with <laughs> and, and until one of them actually challenged me to say, well, why don't you find out? It would be interesting. And I thought, yes, it would. Mm-hmm. And as a hobby, and I can't remember when it was now, it was 15 years ago, I started to formally interview very successful people. And when I say people, they are from all walks of life, from sports stars, entrepreneurs, captains of industry, scientists, inventors, explorers, yada, yada, the, you know, the whole shebang, right across the board. And what I've found out in the last 15 years and 149 to date interviews is that they do think and behave differently, but it's more simple than what we are being told on business management training courses. Yeah. And so... What I was going to ask you was, and, and I think you're leading there, I guess, is that um, you're known, um, as I said in the intro, for this concept of massive goals. And I was going to say, well, did this come from you kind of analysing the market and figuring out there was a gap and it was all technical? or? But it sounds like it's one of the things that emerged from these interviews. It, it leapt out of the research. It just leapt out. I mean, everybody's heard the expression, realistic and achievable targets or smart goals. In 149 interviews to date, not one single person, when I asked them, how do you set goals, answered it by saying, I set realistic and achievable goals. So so at that point, when, when that finding began to emerge, did you kind of say to yourself, I'm onto something here, I need to do something on this? How, how did you move from that discovery to deciding you would have a business based on it? Here, you see, that's a very intelligent question because I'm wincing now. Uh, the, the, the truth is that I very quickly found out that they set massive goals and I should do something about this. But actually, I was too much of a coward at the time to sell my business and turn into a speaker because I was afraid of speaking as well. Um, so, so what I did, I rather than apply the goal setting process to my personal life or my business in case it failed, because as I said, I was a bit of a coward. Mm-hmm. I decided to see if the model would work first before I do anything mm-hmm. by doing a charity event. And what we did, myself and a friend, using the goal setting principles, is in a five year period, we raised about half a million pounds, breaking four charities' fundraising records in our spare time. That's not bad. That's not it bad. It's a good start to prove the model. Prove <laughs> the model and did some good at the same time, which is we- pretty good. And and very congruent with what top achieve, top top achievers do. 
Right. So, um, I guess one of the things that I found really interesting, and one of the reasons I specifically asked to speak to you for this podcast, is that you've gone down this, I, I think it's a little bit of a different route to many people who, for example, enter the professional speaking field after a kind of career in business, whether they're the chief executive of a corporation, or maybe they're, a, they're an athlete who's done something and they, and they kind of, you know, they won a gold medal and they move on. You based the, your expertise um, and what people listen to you about, essentially initially on this research you've done, and, um, and I guess I guess that's quite quite smart because you know we we can look at what what you're doing. If we, if we think of other people who might want to position themselves as an expert, that method seems achievable to me. Whereas of course winning an Olympic gold medal perhaps not not quite so achievable for me. Um, uh, so. You know, how did you get? What made you think? I know you said at the start there that uh, it almost was a hobby. But at what yes. point did you did you decide? Actually, this is more than a hobby. This is like a foundation of knowledge that I can use to to, to promote myself as knowing this this topic. Ian, it was when people started asking me if I would go and speak to their group and share what I had found, and right. I said I said no, 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 I'm not a speaker. I'm not a speaker. And uh, a fellow professional speaker called Mary Collin one day said, David, Dad, please just come and speak to a charity I know called Childline. And I spoke to Childline's fundraisers and they suggested that actually I could earn a living. And I'd never even considered it. And slowly but surely I realised, as you quite rightly pointed out, that I'd got something not unique, but almost unique in that I was speaking about my own body of research rather than my opinion. Yes. Um, so I have the luxury of standing in front of audiences and saying, don't listen to my opinion because I'm only the same as anybody else. What I've got here are two things. One, 15 years of absolute quality research with people at the very highest level. But I've also now got 15 years worth of this, these are the people who have applied this stuff and look what they've achieved doing it. Mm. And so when people challenge me, as audiences do from time to time, because I do contradict the norm, uh, I have the luxury of saying, huh, Try and prove it wrong. <laughs> do, do you think? Do you think that was important? That second aspect, because um, you, you know, you've, you've got the research, you've got what various high achievers say, but you know, maybe that, as you say, maybe they're just freaks and uh, massive goal setting works for them, but it doesn't work for everyone else. So, was it important to you to actually test out the models in in the real world, so that you could see that ordinary people, um, in quotes, because of course there are no real ordinary people, but, but other people could apply what you were teaching and get the same results with it. For me personally, it was critical because I, as I said, I wasn't as confident back then as I am now. Mm. And I thought to myself, perhaps naively, I don't know, that well, it was my belief, anyhow, that if I was going to stand in front of an audience and try and convince them that they should set massive goals, number one, I must have a body of evidence of significant quantity that I can fire back and say, if challenged, this is what it's based upon. But also, I must have evidence that anyone can use it. So we, I tried to work with the two most challenging groups that a speaker can work with. I work with CEOs and I work with students in high schools. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the results we got were just remarkable. Just remarkable. Now, was this from talks where they'd go and do something, or did you kind of go in and get your hands dirty and work with them? What, what... 
A bit of both, right. a bit of both, because I, I, was, I was just trying to find out the best way to present the information. You know, I, I knew that it worked for me, and I knew it worked for the top achievers that I'd interviewed, and I'd created these models that helped people understand, for example, how to set a goal, how to get a mentor, how to define your purpose. I'd got all the processes, but I hadn't got them in an easy-to-understand model. Right. And so, so I had to find work with different models in different ways to find something that would really work. And, uh, and was that about kind of simplifying the model so people could understand it, making it more practical? What was the what was the transition from all the interviews and the research and the different ideas to a model that then became applicable and people could use? Well, I was very, very keen, with, with the exception of one or two little things, I was very keen that um, a model wasn't based upon one top achiever's experience. Right, it was yeah. based upon, you know, a, a great deal of them suggested that I do this or I think and behave like that. Mm. Uh, there are one or two instances where somebody just said something so jaw-droppingly groundbreaking that anyone can use it and it would just work and make right, a difference. Yeah. But I I felt that, yeah, I had to pull it from the general body of research and the majority had to think and behave in a certain way. Yeah. So, so it was really about, um, in order to apply it, it was about getting the bulk of of that together so you, so that in a way that you could almost say you needed 15 years I guess, I guess if you look back in hindsight you, well firstly you started I'm assuming you didn't wait a full 15 years before you started teaching this well, hey, no. how, how long was it after you'd started discovering this before you were able to go out and start making this your trade I would so oh, good question I haven't thought that probably about two and a half three years right yeah and do you think if you, because you said it was kind of like a hobby, and I'm thinking again in the context of someone who's, let's say they're a consultant now or, or they're in business, they've got this idea and they would like to follow a similar route, um, but they haven't done the research yet. Um, what's your thinking in terms of if people really focused on it, how long it would take to develop knowledge in their own field um, and follow a similar path to you before they were able to, to go out and start um, talking about that knowledge? Oh, it depends how much time they're willing to dedicate. Uh, I mean, I've interviewed close on 150 people in 15 years mm. in my spare time as a hobby that's become a passion, that's become my career. Mm. I would suggest that if people were to dedicate a year, take a year out, they could probably interview two or three hundred people if they wanted to. Even more, yeah. They could even more very quickly. Or they can just find... The most important thing, though, is that they find a niche, something that they're totally passionate about mm. that inspires them to want to do it. And that, that's an interesting question, David, about the niche, in that um, yours it, or, or jumped out at you, it sounds like. It, it doesn't sound like you, start, you... It sounds like you started speaking to these people who'd been successful... Yes. And it was success that initially triggered you, but then the massive goals leapt out. So you didn't go it into did. the interviews thinking, I'm really interested in goal setting. I'll, I'll speak to people about goal setting. It kind of leapt out. You're absolutely um, right. Do, do you think there's a degree to which, and obviously, and, and actually you, you might be able to really help here because of having interviewed all these other folks, I guess you got, you've got an idea of where they got their passion and their focus from. Um, did did you often find that it, it it happened like by almost by accident, like you, or did they were they cut more calculating about it? Where where did it come from? What we found in is that a, a, a greater proportion of them, not all of them, but a greater proportion, actually had a sense of purpose that drove their goals. Mm. Um, and by that I mean they had a reason why they did what they did. 
And it's it's something that, for me anyway, is even more significant than the goal-setting stuff. What we've discovered is that most people can answer very quickly what it is they do, but hardly anybody with real authenticity can answer, why do you do what you do? Mm. And what we found is that people who are purpose-driven tend to tend to be almost fearless so they do tend to achieve more they do tend naturally to set bigger goals because they're fearless because their 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 desire to make a difference or because it's to help other people for example might be bigger than their fear of failure mm. and i guess if 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 you just did it for the money then there's always the temptation when the going gets tough to try something else to try and make the money rather than stick to the the big higher purpose very very true very very true and of course it's you're also thinking about again becoming known as a leader and authority in your field if you have a, a purpose and mission it's a lot easier for people to align behind that than it is to align behind your goal of making a lot of money for yourself it doesn't that doesn't really inspire people <laughs> well what i've also found is that very you get very few challenges as well not only do people align up behind you to push you and drag you towards your goals because they see you're on a mission and mm. they frequently you know align with that but more importantly the more confidence and certainty you have about where you're going and what you're doing the less challenges you get did you did you figure why why is that why do you think that that happens is that the if if I was to explain it from my from my world uh -huh. of my bizarre world of professional speaking, uh, you get the speaker who and, and I don't mean to insult people, but I, I joke about everything and I say the shiny suit brigade, the people who've got the matching tie and cufflinks, paint and shoes, and stand there winking at an audience, going, "Hey guys, you know, they've got they've got they might have some good content. They've been on every presentation skills course mm -hmm. under the sun, and they're very slick. But if you stick a pin in their content and brevity of information that frequently they crumble mm, not much behind it but then i bet you've seen them there, there are speakers who for example might have been on uh, a bit of a, a a purposeful uh what's the word a vocation a um a total mission in life mm. maybe it's to help a charity or to start a foundation or to raise awareness of the rainforests or the environment but they are so passionate about it that even though they've never been on a presentation skills course on their life and they start off quite nervously wringing their hands avoiding eye contact desperately seeking someone who's smiling at them to make them feel secure uh, as soon as they get onto their subject it's as if something inside them just goes bang and their tonality their facial expression their gesture their body language their movement around the stage area it's as if they've been speaking all their lives and you hang on their every word because they mean every word they say and that that passion that belief comes from the fact that their purpose is bigger than their fear of failure right Excellent. but they need to be on the message to have that sense of purpose right so if you if we're talking about someone who's kind of in that expert role at the minute, has a good amount of knowledge and wants to set out to, on a career as being a, a well-known professional speaker or a leading consultant, etc. Sounds like the, probably the first place they need to go from, from your research and from your own personal experience is to find that sense of purpose, that mission. Um, not, not, it's not mandatory. It sounds like you, you, a lot of the people you spoke to, a number of the people you spoke to, sorry, didn't necessarily have that, but a lot did. Mo so that, most of, a lot of them knew. 
Some of them alluded to it and they weren't actually consciously aware of it, but it, but it just screamed out, out of the research questions. And then there was, there were some who, as you say, you know, some of them have just become successful either by luck or just hard work and they don't really know why they do it. And there have been the odd one, for example, um, that I've interviewed who fall into the category of, uh, non-purposeful success stories. And uh, for example, I bet you, we all know people who have gone through life, worked their rocks off. They've had phenomenal success, but then as soon as they retire, they die in the bottom of a whiskey glass very quickly mm. because they've got no purpose in life. Yeah, the work became the purpose, didn't it? Rather Indeed. than being a purpose driving the work. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so so that, that that sounds like it's it's initial start and finding that niche that enables you to deliver on your on your purpose. Now, if people were thinking of going down the research route, mm-hmm. um, as you did, in order to establish their name. What kind of what kind of practical tips have you have you got for people to, to to get started? What sort of how do you get started with research? What sort of kind of you know who do you aim for? What kind of questions do you ask? What what are the things to to um to think about if you're going to go down a, the route of researching in order to build your expertise? Oh, that's a cracking. Do you know, in all the times I've been interviewed, I've never been asked that question. That's a brilliant question. Uh, my advice to people wanting to ask research interviews would first of all be to make sure that you structure yourself a little questionnaire and make sure that every single question is an open question mm-hmm. interspersed with a closed question so a question that gets them answering the life of the universe and everything followed by a simple yes or no question uh-huh. uh, just because it gets them sort of breaking their state and thinking differently yeah, I, I would make sure that every single question is totally relevant and actually get by answering the question do you understand more about how they think and behave when they're doing what they do right. if not if not don't ask him mm. the the next thing is do not ever ask these people for work money contacts mm. leads unless <laughs> unless they offer it they are there giving you their knowledge, their yeah. expertise, and so be respectful of their time. Favor, yeah. um, also, I would I would suggest having your questionnaire run by something like a psychoanalyst or a psychiatrist or a psychotherapist, just to just to see if the questions can be worded in a way that would get people to open up even oh, more or, that, or more quickly. That is something I've never heard before. That is really interesting. But that, yeah, that makes an awful lot of sense. And in, in terms of how to go about the research, I mean, I'm not a uh, an academic or a scientific mm. researcher. I leave that to my wife. She's the genius in our family. <laughs> um, she, she's, she's actually just wincing now, as I said that, sitting back at her desk behind me. But uh, I, I would say, just make sure that you are so passionate about it that that sense of purpose oozes from you as you're asking the questions. Mm. Because that way you're going to stay focused on every single answer that they give because you want to hear the answer. Yeah, you're not kind of uh, looking beyond. It's not like the guy at a networking event looking beyond someone after the first few minutes, few minutes looking for someone <laughs> else to talk to. That's not exactly very encouraging. Yeah. The last, the last thing I would say is, is to is to absolutely be sure that the information you're asking first of all you treat it with respect mm. as, well, as well as the interviewer you give them the opportunity for anonymity yeah. um so you, you get their permission to use their name or only use the reference without their name mm-hmm. but I, I would just make sure that you are 
micro niching. I mean, go to people at the very top of their game. So if you're going to do, if you're going to go do some research on marketing, marketing is such a vast, it's a cathedral of a subject. Mm. You know, I, I, want, I want you to find the pulpit. I want you to find something that you're nuts about within marketing or sales or communication skills or memory technique, whatever it is you want to research and just track down the best people in the world. And the reason I say that is that many people listening to this will go, oh, but they won't speak to me. You know. mm. Actually, what I've found is that if you go to people at the very, very top end, they're fearless, and so they will more likely share with you their expertise. Ah. It's people who are one or two steps down the ladder who are fearful of losing their position that they will not share their expertise or their time with you. Very interesting, very so it, interesting. So a typical example, I, I tried getting hold of some British martial arts champions, mm -hmm. and they were harder to get hold of than world martial arts champions. Oh. <laughs> weird. Very it's... weird. But as you say, yeah, maybe a little bit frightened of, uh, of, of, of losing their status through, through the interviews, whereas not as fearless as the, as the, as the world leaders. Ah. Quick question on, on that getting the interview process then. So yeah. aim for the very top within a micro niche. Yes. How did you go about actually finding those people or getting in contact with those people? I guess when you're at the very top, you, you'll be able to find them because you, they're well known. But uh, but how did you actually make contact with them? As you quite rightly said, now it's easy because when you're in front of a top achiever, if at the end of it, as frequently happens, they say, well, that was very good. Can I, can I do anything for you? You can just say, well, it's funny you should ask. <laughs> uh, can I ask, who do you know that I should be speaking to? Mm and they get out their phone book. Whereas in the beginning, it was a little harder until I just learned, it, it's the age old chestnut of ask. If you don't ask, you don't mm. get. So instead of trawling the internet, which is one way of tracking top achievers down, trawling the internet, sending letter after letter after letter, start with your circle of friends, family, work colleagues, and associations you connect in. So for example, if I'm interviewing top achievers in any walk of life, I would say, um, I would say, Ian, for example, do you know anybody who is a ultra successful entrepreneur, sports star, scientist, inventor, actor, anything at all? Do you know a top achiever? I do actually. I know maybe a couple. Yeah. There you go. And what I find is that virtually everyone on the planet knows or knows someone who does know mm. a top achiever. <laughs> and so you ask. And the personal introduction is going to get you much more likely to, uh, to to actually get in contact with them and to and to get something going than a than a, than a hundred random uh, letters or cold calls. Indeed, until until you reach the level where, like I'm fortunate enough to be able to do now, is if if I've got the opportunity of approaching a real big gun, a real sort of global name, I can they'll, they'll always say, well, who who have you interviewed? And I can reel off a list, and they go, oh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, where in the beginning, it, as you say, that personal introduction, you can't buy it. It's gold dust. Excellent, excellent. And when, you, when you've when you got the interviews, as you said, you've given us some tips there about um, how to structure the interviews, getting the questions right, etc., how to carry out the interviews. Um, when it comes to synthesizing the results and figuring out what they mean, um, does it, do, does it, do things always leap up, leap, leap off the page at you, or how do you, how do you take? What's your process for taking what you found and make, getting some insights from it? Sometimes I would say things do just leap out at you, and then other times, especially with me, because I'm a bit simple. <laughs> um, 
sometimes you have to hear it said in a dozen different ways until someone says it in a way that it's like being hit over the head with a 10 pound wet salmon you know it's for example the goal setting process itself i'd heard lots of people say i set big goals until one guy a top entrepreneur called ralph gold actually said i set big goals i think of things i've got to do to uh, achieve that goal i prioritize them take action never give in but when he said that instead of dismissing it like I'd done to that answer with all of the other people I'd interviewed for the first three and a half, four years, when he said that, it just something clicked that went, that's exactly what everybody else has said. Ah. So sometimes the secret to getting the insight from the interviews is to do more interviews, yes. and someone will say something that causes you to just, your brain then reflects back on all the other ones you did, and that all the pieces of the jigsaw somehow fit together. And, and and as you quite rightly said, occasionally it's great to go back um, and look at everybody's answer to question number four mm. uh, and just to just see what comes out. And you get some great quotes as well. Oh, oh yeah, quotes are always so powerful, aren't they? R- real keepers. And interestingly, on the quote thing, you know how many people outside of personal development just say, oh, it's just semantics, cheap, motivational, rah-rah psychology. Mm. Well, if that's true, how come virtually every top achiever I've interviewed hasn't got a poster on the wall, but they have got a statement or a quote that they live their life by? Is that right? That's very interesting. It's not. It's, so it's not the. They haven't gone to motivationalposters.com and got one of those. <laughs> no. it's, is it? Very, it's, I guess it's very personal to them. It's it's personal to them. They're very, they're delighted to share them, mm. but you know that some of them have even openly laughed at. You know they go into companies and see the successories, as you say, the posters on the wall. Mm. Um, they say that's just words. They don't. They're not meaning it. Mm. They they mean it. They have a quote that they live by. Yeah. For some reason, it's, it's either someone else's quote that's clicked with them and they live by it, or they've heard. You know, it's some weird one they've heard somewhere, etc. And free or frequently, it's their own. Right. Frequently, it's their own, and that's where you get the gold dust because you get original content. Righty ho, righty ho. So you build, you build your expertise. You do the research. You get the right questions. You synthesize it. You get, you get, you speak to the right people. Once you've built that expertise, um, what's worked for you in terms of promoting it? Um, you know, what kind of marketing have you found works the best to raise your visibility and, and get people to see that you have this expertise that they'll want to hire you in your in your case as a, as a speaker maybe in other people's cases as a consultant a coach um, another form of advisor there, there are two things I can suggest one of which is very obvious because you're interviewing a professional speaker <laughs> in which is to speak because if, if you can learn how to present your information effectively in a way that engages an audience as soon as you set foot on the stage and i forgive me I, this is not my own line i can't remember who first said it but it's not my own it's that people will assume you are the expert on that subject unless you show them otherwise <laughs> so, so it's down to what you say and how you say it but yeah. speaking so sometimes you can speak for free and but if the right people are in the room you will earn a year's wages from it on the flip side you're going to earn a fee for marketing yourself yeah it's it, it's very it's really interesting what you say about being on stage i found it that just what you're saying there about people if you're on stage people assume you're the expert until you prove otherwise that's very different to if you go and meet them at a networking event i think people assume you're not the expert until you prove otherwise so there's almost a different <laughs> burden of proof isn't there if Absolutely. you're on stage you must be you must be the expert now obviously you have to be the expert because otherwise you'll pretty soon prove it from what you say um but it's a great way to go to further you know to to uh, bolster that expertise what's your other route the other route is information product. 
Mm-hmm. I, I interviewed a, a guy some of you will be aware of called Peter Thompson. Mm-hmm. Peter Thompson, consultant, uh, speaker, trainer. He's, uh, he's Europe's, or at least was Europe's, largest author of information products. I, I believe he still is. I think he's, is he still something like Nightingale Conan's biggest he is. Um, yes, indeed. Something like that, yeah. He is. And a, a lovely guy to boot. And, and also, he, from, also from Birmingham as well. Is there a kind of West Midlands thing going on there? He, he's a <laughs> brummy like myself, indeed. <laughs> and, and he just opened my eyes to the value of information products. And what I found is that all the marketing in the world, anybody can put together a flyer. Mm. But it sets you apart if you can send someone your DVD, your audio program, a copy of the BBC radio show you did, or the articles you wrote for the magazines of the trade. And if you can have product, even if you give it away, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate, I either sell it or give it away, depending upon my mood, but, um, and then the whim of the client, but you, you can, you can position yourself far, way, way ahead of your competition. If, if you're in a sales meeting, they say, oh, can we see your work? Oh, yes, there's a YouTube clip of me. Mm. As opposed to, here, here's a two-disc DVD set that's a compilation of some of my best bits. Right. Mm. And slide that across the table. Straight away, it just puts you in a different place. It does, it does. You a little, uh, a big box with your with your book, your DVD, etc., etc. But it grows over time, doesn't it? it you don't it have to start off. I think a lot of people get put off by thinking, I have to have a book. And that's great, but it takes a little while to do the book. And uh, and as you've just demonstrated, maybe an audio? <laughs> yes, an audio. An audio. Sorry about that, I've just switched you to something. The, the, the phone which just reinforces what you just said. I'm actually just now holding the phone that uh, when I met Peter Thompson as a, in a coffee break, I actually went and on my phone in a quiet room recorded a five-minute audio that I put on my website that night and sells for five pounds. Excellent, yeah, and you and you can get it on. Nowadays, of course, it's it's absolute peanuts to get it onto CD, and the yeah. the, the perceived value of, of actually the perceived value of physical product is very high, isn't it? That uh, <laughs> you know, even though it's the same piece of data that could, you could just be a downloadable PDF or a downloadable MP3, it's on a CD, it's on a DVD, it's on it's in a book. Um, or a you know physical report just feels much more valuable, and I guess it's about positioning, isn't it? It's about positioning. It, it is about positioning. I mean, just because something is sh- short in duration or it's a download rather than a hard product, it, it's it's down to the quality of the information. Mm. I mean, I've e- I've even known um, there's an Australian guy who does um, a download on how to run a tele seminar, mm. and he sells a thirty minute audio for forty dollars and the quality of the recording is appalling but the content yeah, is the quality of the awesome. content yeah and so it's it's more about the content than the quality right. of Excellent. the uh, but so I'm sure other people would disagree with me. <laughs> but um have you done research on this David? Have you interviewed uh, hundred and fifty people to ask them about their perceptions of <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's if someone's listening Maybe yeah. that's a, a, an avenue to go down if you're passionate about it. research, yes. <laughs> okay, so final question. So, and in a way, that I guess this kind of sums up a lot of what we've been talking about. You know, for someone like a consultant or a speaker just <coughs> starting out today who'd like to carve out their own niche and become become a leader in their field, what would your advice for them be? Where where should they start if they want to to build that career as an as an expert? I'm afraid I'm going to go over the ground that I started with, which is know why you want to do it. Um, it 
it, you won't want to do it for the big fees. Like, well, yes, you will. Okay, you will want to do it for the big fees, <laughs> but you will want to do it to enable you to do something else in your life, whether that be create more time, whether it be to create more engagement of other people. So if, if I could be humble, if I could be um, sort of arrogant enough to share with you part of mine, mm. um, I work with corporates to enable me to help more young adults in schools. So I, I can afford to give some of my time for lower fees going into work in schools, colleges and universities, helping young people. That is my passion, my obsession. And I, the only reason I can do that is by doing the corporate gigs mm. at the full fee. So I'm purpose driven to get the corporate gigs. Right. As opposed to it, it doesn't quite feel so much of a grind if you see this contributing to the bigger to the bigger purpose. It, I, yeah, I appreciate what you say. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not far from a grind to me. I still, have sure, to, yeah. <laughs> still, I still love it. But uh, it, it's, it's that that ena- it's the enabler. Yeah, and that's really gonna, really gonna drive you forward with that extra spring in your step to, uh, to get there. So have that purpose. Find, find what it is that makes you get out of bed uh, to get that quote out, or to get on the motorway to make sure you're, you're at the venue an hour before you're supposed to be, and you know, ha- have a big enough reason why. And that will drive everything for you. That will drive everything. Indeed. Excellent. Thank you very much, David. Much appreciated. Really, really, really helpful answers. And for for everyone listening, you know, the the, the research route for me is one of the most. It, it as you've seen from David, it's hard work. I think you've got to have that purpose and that passion, otherwise you're not going to do it. You're, you're not going to do 150 interviews just on a whim because you want to be, you know, because you want to make some money. But if you do have that passion and that purpose, I think it can be such a powerful way to building. As you were saying right at the start, David, you, it just gives you that base and that confidence that if anyone questions, if anyone says, "Does this really work?" etc., it's not just your opinion. It's not just your opinion. Indeed. So thanks very much for that. Um, for people who are interested in finding out more about you, what you do, some of your work on Massive Goals, where should they go to find out more? Okay, well, what I'll do now is reinforce what I said earlier. Because if they want to know more about me as a speaker, including watching some videos of me presenting, they can go to davidheiner.com. That's H-Y-N-E-R, davidheiner.com. Or if they're interested in looking at the goal-setting audio product as a download, they can see that at www.goalsettingaudio.com Excellent, and I'll put links to both of those sites just below this um, this audio if you're watching or listening to it on my website at ianbrodie.com you can just go below, click on either of those two and you can get over to, to David's sites and have a look there David, thank you very much, much appreciated hope to speak again soon, cheers Pri- Privileged to share, thank you <laughs>